This is the Canoe Creek Podcast. Our vision is to help people in our community connect to God, grow in Christ, and go serve others. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Road, and our Sunday morning service times are 9 o'clock and 1030. Thank you for tuning in. Hello, how are you? All right. You guys uh, awake and happy on a Sunday morning? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, it's good to be with you. My name is Joe Harvey, and I am a guest speaker today. I'm actually part of the church. Ross is doing whatever Ross is doing, and uh, we're glad he's getting a chance to vacation, take a break. And I will be sharing with you inside our sermon topic of miracles. But I got to ask you a question. How many of you remember the old Nintendo game, Mario Kart? Remember that? Anybody still play that? Anybody still play Mario Kart? I mean, I mean some of the old games are coming back. You know, they, they, they still do those. Do you remember Mario Paint? Anybody remember Mario? It was a painting program. Yeah, there we go. Now, that's what I'm talking about right there. Uh, the, the thing I loved about Mario Paint had a feature that was really cool. It was the undo dog button. You guys remember that? Have you heard about it? Yeah. The cool thing about Mario Paint is you could be like drawing lines and you, maybe you got this part of it done and then you add another line and you don't like it. So you just hit the undo dog button and boom, it would go away. And that was so sweet, you know, because you got to experiment with things and if something went bad, you just got rid of it. Undo dog. Now, even Microsoft Word figured out the value of this, or Microsoft Corporation, because the replacement for undo dog in the Microsoft product is a key sequence called control what? Z, control Z. So control Z undoes the last thing that you just did. And I don't know about you, but that thing has saved me a bunch of times. I have used that so many times. I'm doing the control S for save, the control P for print, and the control Z to take that last mistake away. Wouldn't it be be wonderful if life always came with an undo dog button? Uh, If we could, if a decision that we just made, we could just control Z it, and it would disappear. You know, kind of like the game of golf, right? You guys play golf. We have this thing called a mulligan. A mulligan was totally made up by somebody just because they messed up and they wanted it to go away. A mulligan says, we're going to pretend that that never happened, that thing that I just did. And I've used more than my share of mulligans in life on the golf course and elsewhere. I'll be honest with you. In fact, I was playing golf one time in Colorado, and it was one of those holes where you're on the tee and you're looking up to the distance and the, and the green is directly in front of you, and there's a road that runs downhill right beside the fairway to the green. Now, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have a problem when I play golf. I slice. For those of you who don't play golf, that means... When you hit the ball, it always curves over to the right. Now, if you're a slicer like me, you can compensate for that by aiming to the left, which looks weird, and it scares people because it looks like you're aiming at them over there, but you know that when you hit the ball pointing this way, eventually it's going to end up over there. So that was my plan. I'll hit the ball that way, and eventually it'll end up over there. And there was a guy in a truck coming down the hill on the road, and I was being polite. 
I didn't want to hit the ball while he was coming for fear that he would think that it was going to hit him. And so I waited a bit. And when he got too far down the hill for me really to be any danger to him, I hit that ball, but instead of it lofting up in the air and gently fading over to the right side, it stayed about that far off the ground and hit a stone water fountain. When it hit this stone water fountain, it actually bounced up in the air now over my head on the tee box, landed on the road behind the truck that had already passed me, then bounced over the truck and landed on the hood of his car. And I could see him looking at me in the mirror, rearview mirror, trying to figure out how my golf ball passed him twice and still hit him. (laughs) It was confusing for him, for me. That's a mulligan. I'll just hit over again. Wouldn't it be cool if you could just take a mulligan? If you could undo dog everything? If, If you could just fix things? How many of you know who Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak are? right? The founders of Apple Computer. What you may not know is a guy named Ronald Wayne. Do you know Ronald? Ronald was back in the 70s. He owned 10%. He had a tenth of Apple Computer. And he decided back in the 70s to sell his tenth share for $800. If he kept it today, it would be worth $63 billion. That guy could have used the control Z. (laughs) He could use an undo, undo dog button. But the fact of the matter is, we don't get to simply undo the things of the past. We don't get to make them as if they never existed. And I'm betting if you're here today and you're thinking about your life, there's some time when you zigged, when you should have zagged. There's sometimes when you said yes, when you should have said no. And sometimes the decisions that we make are huge. Losing $63 billion, that's pretty impressive, but that's just money. Sometimes the decisions that we make turn our whole world upside down. They destroy relationships and they tear us apart. So... Today, as we continue on our sermon series, we're actually doing a sermon series about miracles, but we're looking at a miracle that is particularly related to the question of what happens when we need to start again? What happens when we need a do-over? If you had to pick somebody from the Bible who really messed up, it would have to be the Apostle Peter. I like Peter. He makes sense to me. If you follow him throughout the New Testament, he's this brash, strong, intelligent, quick-moving, leader-type person. He's the one that when Jesus is walking on the water, raises his hand and said, Call me out, baby. I'm coming to you. He's the one that when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and the tension is mounting and danger is everywhere, pulls Jesus aside and corrects him. Nah, nah, this is a bad idea. Jesus actually has to turn to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. He's the one that declared in front of all the rest of the other disciples, even if everyone deserts you and turns away, I will never fail you. But he's the one who publicly betrayed Jesus three times. 
he's the one when Jesus was arrested and when he was surrounded by people who were saying, aren't you one of his disciples? He's the one that swore down a curse upon himself from heaven. I swear I do not know the man. How would you like to be in that spot? How do you undo that? How do you fix it? How do you make it go away? Today we're going to look at a miracle that is about a miraculous catch of fish. But what it really is, is it's miracle number two in a set. But the second miracle is actually intended to point us to something else that's going to happen. So there are actually three parts to understanding this miracle. The first part is a miracle that appears in, John chapter, um, in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus is first calling his disciples to follow behind him. The second part occurs in John chapter 21. It's a second miraculous catch of fish. And I think you're going to see why in a minute. The first miraculous catch of fish is to help these fishermen, these disciples of him, understand who he is. But the second one is just for Peter. It is a restart in order to have a conversation between Peter and Jesus afterwards walking down the beach. You'll see how it works. So we really have to look at three texts. And again, I want to remind you that in the Bible, what we find is that miracles serve as signposts. They call our attention to something, and they force us to have to deal with the question, God is present, isn't he? And these miracles that we're going to see, they are kingdom events. The miracles don't occur just for the sake of making someone happy or feel better. They are moving forward the agenda of God to accomplish his will, to transform the world. So let's look at the first miracle together. It's in Luke chapter 5. Interestingly, verses 1 through 11. And then the passage where the miracle is repeated different day, but the same miracle, is actually in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. So here we go. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Gennesaret, with the people crowded around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I actually had the opportunity this past April to be at the Sea of Galilee and to actually stand at the place where this may have happened. There are some places along the Sea of Galilee where the land slopes down sort of gently toward the bank, and you could easily see how Jesus in a boat would have sort of a natural amphitheater. And so that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus identifies, he finds this boat, And he asked to have that boat taken out a little bit. And from that position, he's going to sit there and he's going to teach the people as they listen on the hillside. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll let down the nets. 
Any of you guys, gals, fishermen, anybody fish? Yeah, all right. Now, now we're talking. I, the other night, Mandy and her mom and I and two friends, we decided to go cast net fishing. And we went out there, and I've been cast net fishing since I was 16 years old. We went underneath the causeway out of Melbourne. We threw the net a few times, and I'm telling you, there was nothing there. I don't know if someone fished it before us. I don't know if, you know, the tide wasn't right where it needed to be. There are all sorts of reasons why it would be, but there was nothing there. And so I had my net, and Mandy's friend who was with us, he had his net, and we walked back up to the shore, and Mandy said, go out one more time. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking... I know fishing. I know cast netting. There is no point in going back out there. But she wanted her friend to have the experience of catching a fish. Just give it one more try. So we went back out. We threw the net. And her friend caught one little scrawny, gnarly catfish. And it was woohoo celebration. First time throwing the net. He caught something. Look what's happening in this text. Jesus is a rabbi. He is a teacher. He is the son of a guy that builds things with his hands. And if you've ever done something all your life and you do it well, it's hard to take advice from somebody who doesn't do what you do. Did you know the Sea of Galilee is 18 miles from the north to the south? Peter did. Did you know it's eight miles from the east to the west? Do you know when the best time to fish it? Do you know what species of fish are there? Do you know the best way to use the nets? Peter knows all those things. And Jesus says, ah, go over here and throw out your nets. Now, Simon, Peter, answers Master, we've worked hard all night. And this word for master is not the typical word that we think of. There's a Greek word, kurios, which means Lord, that can be translated master. And it expresses reverence in most contexts. But this is the general word for sir. This is a polite response. He says, sir, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats to the point when they were beginning to almost sink. Then look at Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees. He fell at the knees of Jesus. And he said, go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful man. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you care about most? What is it that you know and understand best? I want to make a statement for you, and I want you to hear it as a loving, kind thing, but it's not going to sound that way. So can you be patient with me? Jesus may be Lord of the universe. He may be Lord of the nations. He may be Lord 
of the circumstances of life, but for Peter, when he becomes Lord of the fish, he is Lord. Because that is something that Peter, the fisherman, understands. What is it that you care about most? If Jesus isn't Lord of that for you, then he isn't your Lord at all. You can see the response of Peter here. He drops down on his knees and he says, if you are that person who knows and can do that, then I am not worthy to be close to you. And then you continue reading the text. Peter says, get away from me, Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, no, come with me. We're going to change the world. That's the first event. Now we go to John chapter 21. You ever had a deja vu experience? You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're doing something and you go, I swear I've done this before. I swear I've been in this very same place. Here's the deja vu experience for Peter. It happens in John chapter 21, but the circumstances are entirely different, but it's the same miracle again. And, and we want to know why. And I'm, I'm going to explain to you why. But think about it with me for a second. Now in John chapter 21, after two years or more have passed, and Peter's not being invited into the activity of Jesus for the first time, now he has been in ministry. He has lived life of Jesus. He's been part of everything that Jesus has done. Jesus has been betrayed he has been crucified. He has been resurrected. And he has said to his disciples, go to Galilee, this region, and wait there. And so here is Peter with the other disciples in Galilee after the resurrection of Jesus and after Peter's betrayal, his denial. Verse 21. Well, that would be hard. Verse 1 of chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciple by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there are seven of them there. I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So far, so good. So far, life is normal. Anybody who's been fishing, hunting, whatever, you know there are nights that you catch nothing. (laughs) It just doesn't turn out the way you want. So far, nothing out of the ordinary. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He's about 100 yards away. Maybe the light's not all that clear. There's distance involved. And he calls out to them, and he says, Friends, haven't you... Any fish? Actually, the word for fish here is not the normal word for fish. It, it's normally the word that's translated a, a bit of food. Have you caught anything to eat? Of course, the thing that they're going to catch to eat will be fish. And he basically says, guys, have you caught anything? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large catch of fish. Now watch what happens. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
presumably John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumps into the water. You understand what's happening here. You notice that in both passages, Peter is the central figure and particularly in this passage. This is a deja vu. This is a do-over. This is an undo dog. This is a restart button for Peter. Everything that he experienced when he first discovered Jesus as Lord of the fish is coming back to him again. There he is. It's just like it was when it all first began. And when he finds this reality, he acts he jumps in the water. He takes, his, he takes his outer coat, his tunic. And the word that describes what he did is the same word that describes Jesus tying a long towel around his waist. It looks like he takes his outer garment and he just ties it around his waist and he jumps in the water. So that when he gets to the shore, he can put everything back on. And there it is. There is a piece to the puzzle that I want to share with you and an idea that I want to challenge you with. How does Peter get past his sin? How does he get past his moral failure? How does he get past his relational breakdown with Jesus? The first thing he does is he remembers. He remembers what it was like when he first saw Jesus as Lord of the fish. He remembers what it was like when he first fell on his knees. In this moment, Jesus has gifted Peter with a miracle that takes him back in time to the experience of, don't you remember why you started believing and following me in the first place? But this miracle doesn't exist solely for that purpose. This miracle points back to the previous miracle. And that creates a context for what's going to happen in the next verses of the chapter. Because this miracle happens so that Jesus and Peter have a moment in time now when they're reconnected and Peter is reconnected to the truth of Jesus as his Lord so that Jesus can look him in the eye walking down the beach and say, do you love me? All of it's woven together. Look what happens here. Skip ahead to verse 15 of John chapter 21. By the way, there's this really fascinating passage in between here. I, I want to throw something out for you to, 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 to think about. No extra charge for this. Uh, <laughs> the disciples catch fish. They get on the shore, and Jesus is already there cooking fish. It's not as if the Lord of the fish needs your fish. But, but then he invites them to bring some of their fish. And, and they have breakfast together, and this very peculiar passage says, And none of them dared ask who he was because they knew who he was. Now, that's an odd thing to say. So here's the freebie, something for you to think about. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was unlike anything that had ever occurred. It's a singularity. You say, other people came to life from the dead. 
Lazarus did. No, no. Lazarus' body was reconstituted. And then later on, he died again. But when Jesus is raised from the dead, his physicality is something different. They see it. They know it. But they just don't quite understand it. But that's another message. So here we are. Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. Because he understood what you understand. The gift that Jesus is giving is the opportunity to trade memories. You understand what I'm saying? Three times, Jesus said, Peter said of Jesus to the crowds, I don't know him. And three times, Jesus said to Peter, tell me again, do you love me? Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to trade one memory for another memory. Peter understands it. It hurts him because he recognizes that all of the pain and rejection that were part of his denial are being confronted right now in this question. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know the truth. You know I love you. And there it is. This is the process of renewal for Peter. And I think it's the process of renewal for me. Remember who Jesus is and why you chose to follow him to begin with. Two, reconnect relationally to your love for him. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't ask Peter to reaffirm some doctrine or belief. It's personal. The question is, do you love me? I know you got it wrong. I know you messed up. I know you made a mistake. One of the problems that we have, and I'm just talking to you as a friend now, right? One of the problems that we have is our pride is so strong that we actually believe our sin is greater than God's grace. And I'm here to tell you that's arrogance on our part. I've had people sit across from me and say, if you knew what I did, you'd know that God could never forgive me. And I would say to them, your failure is not greater than God's grace. How do you look Jesus in the eye after you've denied him three times? After you swore, you would never do that. Jesus swaps it out. He says it's personal. It's between you and me. Do you love me? I know you got it wrong. Do you love me? Remember why you chose to be in the journey of faith. Reconnect to the relationship and accept the love of God that brings forgiveness no matter what you have done 
And then three, feed the sheep. Refocus your life. Act as if these things are true. Change your behavior. Set your heart and your mind toward things worthy of the relationship into which you've been called so that your experience builds a basis for growing in your faith. I don't know about you, but I think that I probably um, have needed to do these three things. (laughs) I don't know, sometimes once a week. (laughs) I'm not sure. But I want to challenge you. I want, I want to say to you, there, there is no undo dog. Uh, there, there, is no, there is no control Z for the, for the decisions that we make. And some of them carry lifelong physical consequences for us in this world, some of the decisions that we make. But, but the reality is our past failures don't have to define us. They may describe us. They may be part of our story, but they don't have to define us. God is looking to trade stories with us, to swap out our guilt for his forgiveness, to trade our fear for his hope. He is looking to trade, to swap out with us. So perhaps I can challenge you with this thought. Maybe you can follow Peter's example today. Maybe you can remember. Maybe you can reconnect. Maybe you can refocus. Because it's the same reality. Jesus is Lord. It's the same relationship. God loves you. And it requires the same response. I will love you, Lord, and I will follow you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness that draws us to you and reminds us that your grace is is much bigger than our failure and our fear. I'm amazed that you would step into the life of Peter and you would work to transform and change his future. But I see this as an example to us all, that you invite us all, no matter where we've been or what we've done or what we are doing, to reseat ourselves into the truth of your love for us. Find forgiveness, find strength, find encouragement, find hope, find mercy for living. Thank you for the example for the goodness that you express in the sacrifice of Jesus and his continuing life drawing us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray.